If you've ever seen The Exorcist, or wondered if Christians can be possessed, or you know someone who sees a demon under every rock, or you've ever wondered about spiritual warfare, you know there's a special kind of curiosity that comes with exploring the world of angels and demons. But should we? If we believe that the spiritual realm is real, wouldn't it be wise to keep our distance? Or would we be better equipped to understand and even fight against the evils of our day if we considered the demonic activity that has been in play for centuries? We're going to be talking about all of that and more on today's episode of Theology on Air. Well, welcome back to Theology on Air. As you probably know, we are an offshoot of Theology by the Pint. It's the artist formerly known as Theology on Tap, but we've rebranded and we are back stronger and better than ever as Theology by the Pint and everything you need to know about the whole world, just kidding, but about our organization and our events, you can find at theologybythepint.org. Um, and you can learn more about our leadership and come to all our stuff. And uh, But I'm Sarah Stone. I'm the executive director for Theology by the Pint. I'm joined uh, by Evan McClanahan, who's the um, seniorest, very senior mm-hmm. pastor at First Lutheran. He's the only pastor, but also the senior mm-hmm. pastor. Uh, at First Lutheran here in Midtown, where we have our studio. And we're joined today by Austin Freeman, first time, long time listener, first time guest. I'm just kidding. I don't know if you've ever listened, but he's here today. <laughs> Actually, we're uh, especially excited. One of our, um, we had a special request for Austin from one of our star volunteers, Levi, uh, asked for him to come and we made it happen. So Levi, if you're listening, this one's for you. Uh, But also there are lots of other people I'm sure want to hear what you have to say. I do. Um, But Austin is an assistant professor and chair of apologetics at Houston Christian University. They also had a Mm rebrand. They used to be Baptist, but now they're Christian. Get it? Okay. I'm just kidding. But they are HCU now. He has a PhD in systematic theology, and his book, Tolkien Dogmatics, provides a comprehensive guide to the theology of J.R.R. Tolkien. You probably say Tolkien, don't you? Oh, am I already bothering you? But his work on Tolkien slash Tolkien led him to his new project, which aims to retrieve the traditional doctrines of angelology and demonology for our present situation. So obviously that equips him for today's conversation. Might be the first time you've ever heard the word angelology. That word does not flow off the tongue. Yeah, but a lot of L's. Yeah, yeah. it is. But uh, but here we are. So welcome. Happy to have you. Thank you. This is this is great. This is fantastic. Very happy to be here. Yeah. So I came and chatted with you a couple of weeks ago and... Um, you, I was like, what would you want to talk about if you came on the podcast? And you gave me several things, but this, of course, was the spiciest. It was like, let's talk about demons. Um, so, you know, that's what we bit on. But before we get into all of the like, ooh, scary, spooky stuff, just tell our audience a little bit about you, who you are, maybe how you came to faith, what got you, how'd you land at Houston Christian? Give sure. us the scoop. Sure. So um, I am from Waco, Texas. I was uh, born and raised there. And I think I decided that I wanted to be an apologist when I was probably in middle school. As one so does. That, I mean, that makes me – that already classifies me as a certain like sort of Like an old person. man in a young yeah. man's body. Yeah. Um, like and, nerd, like yeah. with a trademark sign yeah. after it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I went to Memphis, Tennessee, got my undergrad in religious studies and philosophy and uh, really was just pursuing that idea of being a professional apologist. And uh, in the meantime, I had a lot of spiritual growth. I had to – be chastened in my uh, arrogance and in my presentation, and I, I learned Aww. humility. And I, I, I met a wonderful woman and married her, and that Ooh. also helps with humility. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> wait till you have kids. Yeah. So, uh, my spiritual journey. I'll, I'll, the same time that I was doing all of this, I was raised Southern Baptist. I became uh, Reformed during college, and that was when I really started focusing on systematics as well. I, I um, decided that the best way of 
evangelizing, the best way of bringing other people to faith or being able to explain the faith is to be able to explain how all of the pieces fit together. Okay. And that not only is it is it corresponding to reality, but it's also coherent within itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I pursued a, a master's degree at the University of Edinburgh <laughs> in, uh, in Scotland. And Can I got, you do the rest of the podcast in that accent? Absolutely. So uh, <laughs> I have been told by Scottish people that my accent is not that bad. Okay. Um, well, my last name is McClanahan, so I'll be the judge oh of that. Oh my goodness, so. I love this so much. Uh, if both of you were wearing kilts in your particular tartans, that would be better. I do but. have I do have a kilt. I can bring that next time. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I do have a tartan in somewhere that Lanahans or the McClanahans have a castle. Wow. I got to find it though. I anyway, not, I'm sorry, go ahead. Castle. So yep. uh, my master's degree was in historical theology and then I came back and did a PhD in systematics with Kevin Van Hooser at Trinity, yes! Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. We went to the same seminary, but um, very different times because I'm old and he's young. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was that's where I ended up academically. So uh, after all of that, none of those degrees is in apologetics, but now uh, yeah. it's all funneling in. I see apologetics as sort of the... The, the renaissance field that you have to know a little bit about everything. You have to be mm-hmm. a generalist in order to speak to these things. And that's where I have found myself. And I think that's where God has put me is I, I'm interested in so many of these different aspects. It's not just, you know, the doctrine of Christology, it's theology and literature, mm-hmm. it's uh, mm-hmm. sociology, it's prehistory, all sorts of things yeah. that, that flow into this. And so I've, I've just been really blessed and really privileged that God has, uh, opened up this door to, to work at Houston Christian. And I, I mean, honestly, this is the premier program in imaginative apologetics. Okay. So I'm glad you said that because when I hear I wanted to be an apologist and now you're, you, you've taken some turns that maybe you, your middle school self didn't think right. you were going to. We've talked and we've talked about how we're kind of in this almost post-apologetic age mm-hmm. where the apologetics of 10, 20 years ago, people aren't particularly interested anymore. Yeah. So it's very cool. You have this well-rounded and and you're equipping people now mm-hmm. to have a well-rounded view. And so imaginative, kind of define that. What is imaginative apologetics? So imaginative apologetics, you can construe it a few different ways. But the, the way that I talk about it is, you, you know, when, uh, when David sins with Bathsheba and Nathan, the prophet comes in yeah, and Nathan says, David, there was this, there was this man and he was Mm-hmm. poor man and he had a little lamb one little you loved it one little lamb and the the rich man that's next door he has somebody come in for a feast and so the rich man takes the one man's precious little pet lamb and kills it and eats it what ought to be done to this man and david says he deserves death and nathan says you are the man you are that man yeah, that's you, from veggie tales but okay. yeah okay well i mean <laughs> we got to reference the classics uh sorry it's, you know well, I mean, it's like martin luther john calvin Veggie tales, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most people's theological education. Oh, um, so that's the, the sword and Kierkegaard calls it indirect communication. Yes. Um, we do a lot with J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And the, the, the first step nowadays is all of these words like sin or angel or salvation. Sanctificate, yeah. Heaven, hell. Like none of these have any content for people anymore. Whatever content they have, they have from like dessert commercials mm-hmm. or something. And so it's so delicious. It's sinful. Yeah, so it's heavenly. Yeah. It, it, we, <laughs> we can no longer rely on the cultural cachet that people have to even understand what the gospel means. We first have mm-hmm. to reclothe these concepts with plausibility. Yeah. We have to show people that such a world is beautiful and desirable, that mm-hmm. they would want to live in it. And then we can follow up by saying, well, did you know that this is also true? true. Yep. And then the philosophy and the the more classical approach to apologetics, the evidential arguments come in. Sure. 
So first, as Solzhenitsyn says, beauty must save the world. Hmm. But uh, as Christians, we believe that beauty and truth are one in Christ. Yeah. So w- when you when you learn one, you also open yourself to the other. That was beautifully said. Just to say, one of the taglines for the White Pill Radio episodes, yeah. if people listen closely, is, is post-apologetic. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. So because we, it's more kind of news based, but we're kind of applying Christian worldview. Kind of, we're kind of backdooring it. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, mm-hmm. there's apologetics in there. People are listening because we're trying to say, here's what's going on in the world, and then you know, yeah. So shameful plug for those episodes, but yeah, shameful. Okay, you don't have to be ashamed. It's a good thing. What does shame even mean in this context? Right? Not what it meant yeah. in the Bible. Yeah, that's a whole episode right there, but. Today, we're going to talk about demons. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, there's a famous C.S. Lewis quote where he talks, maybe it's screw tape letters, where he talks about like there are dangers on either end of, you know, the, engaging with or thinking about demons. Like, one is to just not believe that Satan is even real um, and be in this deluded world. And the other is to become so fascinated, obsessed, curious that you're, you know, you're hanging out in waters you ought not hang out in. And in fact, I've told Evan, uh, he was reading this book about demonology. And I was like, you'll just have to give me the cliff notes. I don't want to ever read that because I that world to me is um, because I believe it's true. Mm-hmm. It's it's scary. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much I want to hang out in there. So the first question I have to ask before we get into this is like, should we be talking about this? Yeah, It's a great question. And it's a question that people should ponder. So when, when Lewis is talking about this, obviously he <laughs> writes this whole book, The Screwtape Letters. Mm-hmm. And in order to do this, he has to get into the mind of what it would be like to be a demon that's tempting people. And he says that it's it's like living in a desert. It's totally dry and desiccating. And he, it was not pleasant to write. And Tolkien actually was very uh, reticent mm-hmm. to to engage with the Screwtape Letters. He did not approve of C.S. Lewis's work. I feel like they that. didn't approve of anything each other did. That's mm-hmm. cute. Um, most good friends, I think. Are yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Um, and so... Tolkien would take that other position to say, this is real and therefore we should stay away from it. Uh, but I think Lewis maybe falls a little bit more on the other spectrum to say, this is real and therefore we need to think about mm-hmm. it. Uh, and in scripture, which obviously should be our standard for how we approach these issues, uh, the apostle says, we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. Hmm. How many of us who haven't reflected upon this can claim that, can say that we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes? Uh there's quite a lot said about Satan in the New Testament, and not just about Satan, but about the powers and principalities and the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Uh, this is a worldview that was very prevalent to the Old Testament writers, very prevalent to the New Testament writers, and on into the patristic era as they battled with these uh, institutionalized demon-worshipping religions. Hmm. Uh, the New Testament and the early apologists said that it's not just out there in the movies. It's down the street. Yeah. There are people that are taking animals and sometimes human beings mm-hmm. into particular structures and sacrificing them to things which the Apostle Paul says are demons. Hmm. And it so saturates the entire Roman culture of the first few centuries that Tertullian uh, says you can't go to any of the circus games. You can't go to um, the markets. You should not wear any wreaths or crowns on your head because all of these things at some point or other are associated with idol worship and therefore Hmm. with demonology. Now, we're in a very different place in our culture nowadays. Unless uh, you go to Renfest. Unless you go to Renfest, I suppose. uh, Or unless you go to a halal restaurant where all of that has been been offered up to, to Allah. But the idea is... We now have become disenchanted. We live in a secular age. So many people say, um, 
And uh, I, I would want to challenge that a little bit. I would want to, to go back to that quote that the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing people he didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, C.S. Lewis again says that the ultimate goal is, you know, in certain places we create magicians, Screwtape says, and in certain places we create materialists. And the ultimate triumph would be to create a materialist magician, uh, someone who bows down to and serves these forces that they don't understand and, and can't comprehend, but without having any sort of opposite ultimate transcendent goodness on mm-hmm. the other side. So it's just the power. So dark. Yeah. And I, I see that in our culture. We're repaganizing. Interesting. We are moving back into this sort of atmosphere. And we have people like Yuval Noah Harari or these other transhumanists who are very forthright. They say, we are building God. Yep. So if you've ever read Lewis's That Hideous Strength, you're talking mm-hmm. about the the nice uh, and, and the talking head in there, these macrobes. We're, all of these terms or the, these concepts are coming back into our culture. They're just reclothed in more palatable terminology. Science. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're clothing it in sciences. And so I think it's really important for the church to recover its tradition uh, because the fathers and the scriptural writers were not hesitant to talk about this. Now, mm-hmm. they're, they're not spending their entire lives in the right. muck of it. Right. They're not going to the temples. But they're also thinking about why they're not going to the temples and what would happen to them if they did. Yeah. So it it's, it's, comes to me down to that idea. We are not ignorant of the devil's schemes, that, that he does prowl about like a roaring lion, mm-hmm. seeking whom he may devour. And so... If one were out in the African veldt and you knew that there were lions prowling about, perhaps you want to know where they hang perhaps out. Perhaps one to avoid should know and... their feeding patterns. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. interesting. I don't know what a veldt is. <laughs> I think is, context is, clues would tell. Is you. it like a savanna? It is. Um, it is indeed like a savanna. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I know we have more foundational questions, but since you mentioned transhumanism and yeah. Novel Harari, um, do, do you think there is a, a kind of demon in the machine? Yes. Okay, so you you wouldn't take very a... swiftly off the cuff there. I'll just say yes. Okay, yeah, I like that. Um, like I listened to, um, he just put out a book. Um, I can't remember his name, Joe Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so anyway, there are two schools of thought, which is that once you have, say, artificial general intelligence, or even lesser than that, maybe that it it, it can be kind of a neutral thing where it's a collection of information. Um, it, it'll never achieve consciousness. It'll kind of flame out almost like it'll kind of get to that point where it's just going to be like us, we think, and then it like won't be. Mm-hmm. Um, but others say like we're summoning a demon, you know, and like, and to some, some people even use that language, you mm-hmm. know, so. Elon Musk will use that language. Yes. Bill yes, Gates will yes, use that language. Yes. Oh, wow. That's where I've heard it. Yeah. Um, so th- these are people that, that know they are on the inside. Yeah. I, I don't want to freight this conversation yeah. too much yeah. uh, the, the the transhumanist or the ai conversation with demonology i don't think there's a 100 overlap but yeah. it does intrigue me i think you and i were at linear theological yeah. library recently with when john, john Lennox, Lennox came and yeah. spoke and in revelation it says that there is there is a statue that can speak and do miracles and respond to people there there do seem to be these gestures towards automata mm-hmm. uh, in the book of daniel and elsewhere that uh, seem to be animated by some sort of force, that the, the spirit of something dwells within them. And I mean, that's apocalyptic language. Take of it what you will, but mm-hmm. it's suggestive. Well, let's, you just used a couple words. You used the word spirit, you used the word force. So maybe, um, like, I think when people think about, when Christians think about angels and demons, we have this sort of story, at least, I, so I'm, I just turned 47. So in my context as a Gen Xer, mm-hmm. 
the story that I was told when I was little, tell me how much of this I have right and wrong so we can cut like sort of the, the bare bones of what we actually believe as Christians. Mm-hmm. That God made, uh, before he made humans, uh, he made these these other Elohim, small e Elohim, these uh, spirits, these beings, these created beings, we call them angels. Um, and that at some point there was a rebellion, Satan rebelled and he took a third of, and I realized that, you know, comes from kind of this other sort of ambiguous passage, but a third of them fell. And now the fallen angels are what we sort of refer to as demons and that they're, they are at war with each other. Satan is working against the purposes of God. The angels are on God's side. And eventually in the end of things, Satan will be, you know, brought low and his demons with him, but that they're active in the world. How much of that would you say is correct? What should we add to that? What should we take away from that? Like, yeah, that, they're that's, invisible. Like, help us out. That's the basics. I mean, the the great thing about Christian theology is is pretty much everybody agrees on the basics, it, but there's all sorts of stuff that can be filled out from that. So you say, what can we add to that? I think that's uh, what we need to be thinking about. And uh, Paul Hebert, who's a missiologist in the 20th century, he he said that. Uh, we in the United States or in the West, we sort of have commit what's called the fallacy of the excluded middle. Hmm. That here we have the visible human realm, and up here we have God. And, and neither n- the twain and shall meet. Yes, and there's yeah. nothing in between. So we live in this one-story universe when, in fact, the, the scriptural writers lived in a two-story universe. And we have to realize that our situatedness in 21st century America comes post-enlightenment, uh, post-rationalism. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff came out of a particular context. They were motivated – to exclude that middle for particular historical reasons having to do with wars of religion or state control or, or papalism, any, any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's not ultimate truth. That was hmm. a period of history that had benefits and drawbacks. Yeah. And one of the drawbacks is it does away with what we see portrayed for us in the metaphysics of scripture. Uh, we see these things like the divine council, which are these uh, – heavenly beings who are not God. There is only one supreme God, but there are other spiritual creatures that God has made and that serve him. Mm-hmm. And we got to remember, we, we can't get caught up on words or terminology so much as we get caught up on... Theology is about reality. Theology is about touching reality. That's a great quote. So when you can call water O, or you can call it Vasa, or you can call it water, mm-hmm. or you can or you can call it Agua, whatever it is, it's you're talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So when when the Igbo of Africa talk about their spirits, they will use a particular word. When when we talk about spirits, we can call them demons or fallen angels. But all of it is referring to the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so phenomenologically, when we analyze what's actually going on, how do these things behave? Uh, what does scripture say about them? We find that there's this convergence and it all circles mm-hmm. around the idea that there is one supreme God, but there are other creatures who are not humans, other mm-hmm. intelligent, rational creatures. They have their own wills. They have their own desires. Some of them are not friendly to us. <laughs> not friendly. Yes. It's such a euphemism. In the word God, little g God, mm-hmm. Elohim, I mean, that's that's a um, – some people get sort of confused because they, how can there be other gods? Yeah, well, you know, I so. mean, Jesus deals with this. In John yeah. 10 – the uh, Pharisees are going to stone him uh, because they say, you being a man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus responds by quoting Psalm 82. The very first verse of Psalm 82, God takes his stand in the midst of the divine council, in the midst of the gods, and being in their midst, he judges the gods. Jesus says, if God calls those to whom the word of God came, gods, then I, who am so much more than that, I who Mm -hmm. have come down from the Father, why do you stone me? 
but Psalm 82, if anybody wants an introduction to what the divine counsel is, I would point them to Psalm 82 because that seems to be where Jesus points people. Mm-hmm. This idea that God doesn't rule by himself. He could. He's all powerful. But just like God didn't have to create human beings and imbue Adam mm-hmm. with authority over the earth. He, he, he does so out of the abundance of his love and goodness. And so some of those beings were the angels. And I think uh, spinning out from J.R.R. Tolkien, there's probably different ranks of angels. I wouldn't want to go so far into the pseudo-Dionysus uh, angelic hierarchy thing and talk about nine different choirs or et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But uh, it seems like there are, there are what I generally tend to call the angelic governors or what uh, Ephesians calls the powers. Mm-hmm. And they exist in the heavenly realm, whether you want to describe that as a, a higher dimensional space or whatever term that makes moderns feel more comfortable <laughs> that it really exists. Um, and they are imbued with authority, right? So it, it even seems like after the rebellion, they retain some of that authority because Satan is still called the prince of the mm-hmm. power of the air or the ruler of this age. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Irenaeus, very early. I mean, Irenaeus is the first generation of of Christians or second generation of Christians after the apostles. He's already talking about this idea that Satan was the governor of earth mm-hmm. and uh, was supposed to lay aside his governorship when Adam comes onto the scene and doesn't want to do that. Hmm. So uh, think about it this way. When COVID happened. Hey, guys. Sarah here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I know it was awesome, but I just wanted to tell you that Theology on Tap is growing. We are now a standalone ministry, an independent nonprofit, and to grow, we need your help. We're offering more live events, more follow-up opportunities to reach the unchurched, and increased partnerships with local churches. You can help us grow by praying for us, by telling your friends or church about us, and of course, partnering with us financially. To donate, Go to HoustonTOT.com forward slash give. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. We had uh, several state governors who decided that they did not want to abide by the mask mandates or the vaccination mandates that the federal government was laying down. And uh, yet they remained the governors of their states. They were in rebellion. They were in conflict against the, the rightful federal powers. Uh, whether for good or ill, I will let the readers decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they retain their authority. And so in Psalm 82, going back to scripture, we see God taking them to task for not ruling justly, for not uh, ruling with righteousness and for allowing oppression and evil and for accepting worship. We have Paul in the Areopagus uh, talking to the Athenian philosophers about their daimons. Uh, which is just the Greek word that we get our mm-hmm. English word for demon from, uh, and saying that along with the psalmist, the gods of the nations are demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems that we humans create these idols for ourselves, or we are pushed into imbuing idols with particular consciousness, and that these demons sort of co-opt these mm-hmm. uh, these idols and these systems of worship for their own purposes. Uh, and direct worship away from God and mislead people into uh, into falling into their hands rather than submitting to mm. the rightful authority, which is God. Okay. Uh, so many questions. I mean, it's funny because I asked you to send me questions, but as you're talking, I'm like, there's 14 questions <laughs> I just thought of. Um, you mentioned a couple of things, though, about <clears> – <throat> excuse me – the Divine Council. I want to kind of unpack a little bit about how you think – that kind of stuff worked, especially when we read the Old Testament, when we read things like the beginning of Job, Mm -hmm. where, you know, Satan and God seem to be having just a conversation. Mm -hmm. And he's like, have you considered my servant Job? Old pal. I mean, Mm -hmm. it almost seems like they're 
friendly. And then there's this bizarre story of Micaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's, you know, this prophet for the Lord who's one of the few that didn't get killed by an evil king. And and then he's up telling this whole story about like basically demons and angels hanging out together in the presence of God, having conversations with God, and God even using some of the bad ones for his purposes. So talk a little bit about is that how that worked? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's how that works? Does it still work that way? Are they all up there kind of swimming in the same circles? Like, so I'll, I'll answer yeah. the first question first because the second question is more complicated. Yeah. Um, when we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, we remember that these writings are crafted for a, oftentimes for a particular polemical context. Yeah. So Genesis 1 through 11, prime case in point. They are written not only to inform us about the truth of God, but also how God is different from the gods of the nations. Yeah. Uh, from these Ugaritic, Canaanite, Sumerian, or whatever <laughs> other mythologies that, that seem to be very similar. And what you have in all of the rest of these ancient Near Eastern mythologies is you have a pantheon. There's maybe mm-hmm. one senior god, and then there are quite a lot of other gods with their own conflicting interests and portfolios, and they're all working together and sometimes at cross-purposes. Uh, but what's important is th- is that Ale or Zeus or whoever they are is the same sort of thing as these other gods are. There we go. Uh, that's the crucial difference. Mm-hmm. And so in Genesis, for instance, we say God created the heavens and the earth and he made the sun and the stars. Right there, you have a huge difference. We just gloss over that. It's It's a few words. Yeah. But what they're saying to their original authors is all of these other things which you say are gods are actually created by yes. the real God. Yeah. And so in in that sense, when we see the Hebrews talk about the divine council, we see them picking up something which is a common idea in, mm-hmm. in the cultural context and changing it. Mm-hmm. So God is reigning over the other gods. It's not just Psalm 82. It's everywhere sure. when you start seeing it. Michael Heiser, by the way, I don't agree with everything Michael Heiser yeah, does. Yeah, do but I. If you, want, if you want an extensive biblical exegesis of this concept, pick up anything that Michael Heiser has written. Um so, yeah, I think that it's it's pretty clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that there is some sort of spiritual realm in which these beings are are moving and working. And it also seems like they're assigned to particular, I don't know if I would say geographical boundaries, but that was my cultural next boundaries. Uh, because you have Daniel, right? The, that Michael comes mm-hmm. to Daniel mm-hmm. and he says that he's the prince of Israel. And, and then there's a prince of Persia who seems to be in conflict with him and has been preventing him from coming to Daniel. Uh, and so... This whole mythological image is something that like post-Reformation, post-Enlightenment, we fight against very hard. But if you go back to the scripture, they're not fighting against the basics of that picture. Mm-hmm. They're just modifying that picture to preserve the unique transcendence of the one God in the midst of that. Okay. Speaking of Job, though, so like what one of the you might get to this so just tell me no, to be quiet if go. But, but there is there are different theories about like the development of satan kind yeah. of as a personal as kind of like the head of the demons um so i'd be curious to know just well i'll ask you a yes or no since you're really good at answering those do you think <laughs> do you think um there is a singular head of the demons capital s satan is the name we've given him do you think that that particular being exists yes okay now the word comes. I don't know from, if he's the head of all demons. I don't know that there's anywhere necessarily in the in the scriptures that says that he's literally in charge of all of them. Okay, it would kind of make more sense to me if their fundamental nature is that they're rebels that they yeah. cast yeah. off right, right, cast right. off authority right. In, in, in order to arrogate power to themselves. Why would they still retain listen all this to a ruler? To say, yeah. You know, if only we had an anarchist that we knew that could come and talk to this one of them. <laughs> 
One yeah, of our friends yeah. is an anarchist, so this is my argument against anarchy. He's like, there's no organizing principle. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay. But in Job, it's ha-Satan, like that's mm-hmm. the Hebrew word, right? Which means adversary. And, and so people will say, the accuser, so people will say, um, well, it's we turn it into a proper name, but it's just it's just name meaning accuser. And then later we personify it. Thoughts? That- uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a prominent argument that says even that this Satan is not the same Satan as the one that shows up in the New Testament. Or or what about, you know, the hmm. snake in Genesis I was, 3? Yeah. That was yeah. my next question. Okay. Well, so I believe in the authority Serpent. of Scripture. Yeah. Serpent. What, what's the difference? Well, I don't there's, know what it was two before different he was cursed. Snake. Oh, okay. Uh, but if, if you believe in the authority of Scripture and if you believe in interpreting Scripture according to its whole canonical yes. form, yes, yes, then the serpent in the garden is Satan because that's what it says in Revelation, that the serpent who was of old, that great dragon, Satan. Uh, so there it is. It's, okay. it's, it's as simple as that once okay. you've established that framework. Um, that's not to say that in terms of the human authorship, there might not have been a development in terms of their full understanding of what mm-hmm. that being was okay. or did. But what we have to say if we believe we have a high doctrine of scripture is that if God is the ultimate author of all of it, then all of the things that happened prior to this full revelation in the New Testament do not contradict that full mm-hmm. revelation, that they foreshadow it, they build it and yeah. build on it. Because we have the same author who's mm. strewing out breadcrumbs before the the climax and the full revelation of the of the plot here in the New Testament. So, I, I would say that yeah, the the Satan in Job is Satan, and I would say there we do have a window where the sons of God, the Bnei Elohim, uh, which is also present there in that wonderful passage about the giants in Genesis. We're not going there today. Okay, no, okay. <laughs> Uh, and really want to talk about the Nephilim. Well, we'll have you back. That's okay. It's like a leave behind. You know, when yeah. a girl leaves her sweater at a boyfriend's house oh, and is like, well, I have to come back. Now. Is yeah. that yeah. why she did that? Oh, yes. I never picked up on that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do think that is Satan, Satan, the devil. And I think that he's there because, as I said, he has not been cast out from that position of authority fully. Uh, he is still, again, when, when Paul says Roaming, that he's yeah. the prince of the power of the air, or he's the ruler of this age in the New Testament. That's post-Christ. That's yeah. post the cross and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, still described that way. Here's a question that will take us from the Old Testament into modern day. Um, Michael Heiser is the one that introduced me to this idea. People do not like it, but there's a thing in, I don't Deuteronomy, Leviticus, somewhere in the Old Testament, in the Torah, I mean, in the first, in the Pentateuch, that it talks about the table of nations mm-hmm. and it lists these who sort of who's in charge of who's pe- different people. And some people would say that it's, it's as if, or maybe it really is that different fallen angels or demons are, um, sort of put in charge of different nations, but the nation of Israel is being governed by Yahweh. And so that's why they're, that's, that is a way, the way that they're set apart from others, but that that carries on into modernity that other nations now, I don't know where America falls. And if you want to take this into like religious pockets, but that basically the world is being ruled by demons. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I would criticize, first of all, the idea that Yahweh directly rules Israel, because we know that it says Michael is the prince of Israel. So there is an angel that in Daniel it says to be in charge of Israel. God rules not just Israel, but all the nations. Yeah. Right? All of these people, all of all of these entities are regents. They are governors. They are not the king. Ooh, love that. So there is one king, and it doesn't matter whether it's Israel or Greece or the Hittites. Or if you're bowing to him or not, yes. he's still king. Yes. It, it doesn't matter what you think about him. 
but in terms of whether there is a, a hidden plot, uh, those of you that really advocate for the one world government and all of this sort of thing. Yeah, maybe we just shifted into the invisible realm and the Illuminati are really just the, the demons of the table of nations. Who, who knows? Um, we, okay. I mean, we do know that there there is some sort of a plot or a plan that they do have goals, which are contrary to the goals of God's kingdom to bring peace and shalom and flourishing and, and the reign of Christ. They're fighting against that. That's why in scripture there it's described as a battle. Yeah. So uh, in okay. that sense, in some sense, yes, I, I do believe that there are spiritual forces that are at work in mm-hmm. particular nations, probably greater at some times than others. I mean, there's surely something going on in yeah. mid-20th century Germany and Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, this is one of the things. So Tolkien has a, has a letter about this. He says, we have to be really careful uh, when we talk about orcs or, or these uh, – the bad guys. There's yeah, the, a lot of the bad guys. air quotes happening yeah, if you're just listening. The them, yeah. however we describe it. He, Tolkien says there are orcs here in the Greenlands of England as well. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. cannot say, well, uh, Iran is ruled by the devil and right. America mm-hmm. is ruled by uh, – right. th- th- I don't think that's how it works. But I do think that perhaps they dip in and out and whisper in people's ears or yes. push them in certain directions. Well, speaking of whispering in people's ears, let's take it away from sort of geographical or, you know, ruling, but more about religions. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what we would call false religions mm-hmm. and where demons kind of fit into that. Okay. Are we ready to We're ready. get a lot of hate mail right now? We already get a lot of hate okay. mail. We yeah. do? Um, well, it's, it's metaphorical. It goes to your inbox. Okay. So I'll, I will start off a little ways away, but you will see where I'm going by the end, I hope. To start uh, with Ishmael. Yeah. There's a guy named uh, John Nevius. He's a, a Presbyterian missionary in Inland China. I like China, him already. Inland China Mission back in the 1800s. And as a Presbyterian, of course, like he's he's a cessationist. He does not look you for – You say of course. There's plenty of Presbyterians that are not cessationists. Well, sure, but, but not, yes. in, not in – Not the, at that time okay. in yeah. that space. Yeah. So that was even before Azusa. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> he's not out there looking for huge signs of, of weird stuff going on. He's, <laughs> he's just trying to be a faithful minister of the gospel. And he's going around all these Chinese villages and he's running into all of this stuff that he can't explain. All of these children speaking in voices that are not theirs, mm-hmm. uh, knowing secrets that they couldn't possibly know, all of this sort of stuff. And he has no theological categories to interpret this because of his his tradition. And so he writes to these other pastors and missionaries in Inland China Mission. And he says, have you encountered any of this? Send it all in and we can sort of work out what's going on. And he gets this flood of letters and correlates them and writes this book. And it's one of the best books on demonology that I've read. And it's free on Google Books if you look uh, look up Nevius's uh, demonology. Um, And so he describes this repeated phenomenon. You can almost categorize it. You, you can you can craft a formula for it. Mm. So you'll have a spirit, because the, the Chinese don't have the word for demon. Really? Um, well, huh. um, the, well, they they talk about them as spirits or as, uh, yeah. they'll, they'll have other terms, but it's the same idea. Uh, most other cultures that are not Christian or Muslim will just have a sort of a neutral category of spirit. And right. just like people, they can be good spirits, they can be bad right. spirits. Um, and that's what the word daimon meant in, in classical Greek as well. Hmm. So Socrates, for instance, is very proud that he's got a daimon that's telling him what to do. Um, so hmm. Nevius writes up this sort of formula that there will be a spirit that will come and it will dwell in 
a, a person in the village and it will make them suffer very similar to mm. what we see in the new testament that throws it into the fire yeah. or into the water gives it seizures cutting yeah and so they'll invite the local witch doctor or whatever shaman or spiritist is is there and they will perform their practices which mm -hmm. seem to have some effect because e even in the new testament we've got these mm -hmm. jewish exorcists that are mm -hmm. performing rituals um they make it very uncomfortable for the spirit to live in this particular person. And so the spirit begins to negotiate. And it says, if you allow me to remain, I will tell you where hidden treasure is. Or I will uh, prophesy for you. Or I will uh, bring you fortune. And so they say, well, yeah, we're, we're poor villagers. That sounds like a good deal to us. So they allow it to stay. And lo and behold, it, it really does do that for them. And so... Uh, you get people that come in and they want to be healed from illnesses. And there's there's all sorts of wonderful... This is wild. Well, so there's all sorts of wonderful ways. Augustine talks about this. All the way back in, in Augustine's time, he'll say, well, yeah, demons can heal people from illnesses. Wow. Because they cause the illness and all they're oh, doing is taking it away. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, huh. So all of it works perfectly logically. It explains this entire phenomenon that we see in the rise of these cults and shrines and oracles and all of this stuff. Uh and so they begin to build a, a following uh, around this possessed individual. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and that's how, that's how a, a religion starts. And what becomes really shocking is... It sounds like the beginning of Shintoism, if well, you've ever read. Well, that's, that's the same pattern that you see in all of these other hmm. religions and cults around the world across both space and time. So I've done reading, I mean, among the Aztecs, among the Eskimo, hmm. uh, among, like you said, among the Japanese. If you, okay, again, are you guys ready to get some hate mail? We know where this is going. Okay. Just say it. I mean, when Muhammad is in the yes. cave, it says there is, there is an angel of light yep. that appears to him yep. and burns him and makes him suffer and be uncomfortable until he will proclaim this message from Allah. And that's the same sort of phenomenon that we see repeated over and over again everywhere in history. Mm -hmm. And what we have forgotten as modern Christians is we have a category to explain all of this. Mm -hmm. We have a category to explain mm -hmm. why the oracle at Delphi seemed to work. Mm -hmm. None of the early Christian apologists, none of the church fathers denied that the oracles were real. Yeah, they just denied where they came from. Right. Uh, we well, it sounds like the accusers of Jesus. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, he can. He's a. He's with Beelzebub. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was they didn't deny his miracles either, but ultimately, we believe, you know, his deeds are are, are vindicated that mm -hmm. they are from the Father, mm -hmm. the Author of life. They're for the good, etc. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of research there, and you can almost pursue it as a, a sort of religious studies. Mm -hmm. Like sociology. Yeah, like a sociology yeah. of, of these other religions. You just add in this one extra category that's already present in Christian orthodoxy, and it has this massive explanatory power. That's there, fascinating. There's there's a movie. It's, it's, it's not a great movie, but <laughs> if someone wanted like a very elementary exposure to this, like The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, I love that movie. I okay. have such bad juju with that movie. Yeah. That I still think of certain scenes from that movie and yeah. it terrifies me. Yeah. So the, there's a German version of the same story, which mm. is... Because she was originally a German girl, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and and that's quite a good movie, but it doesn't get into the trial. Mm. So the exorcism of Evelyn Rose, it, it's about a it's about a it's a true story of a girl who is possessed, so her family says, so the church says, and she dies basically due to exhaustion and 
and and starvation mm-hmm. during the attempted exorcism over a course of many m- weeks or months or something. And uh, there's footage of her on YouTube. Um, it's quite it's quite horrifying. Anyway, so there was this question of mental illness versus possession, and the church says one Which thing. Which is where we're going next. They're yeah. not mutually exclusive. There we go. Interesting. Um, but the uh, I think an African woman I probably was you know. That might be a, a a combination of real people in the film, you know, in the film. But this, she says, you know, hey, in the West, you guys don't see possession, mm-hmm. but everywhere else in the world, this mm-hmm. is just part of daily life. Mm-hmm. In fact, even I'm reading a book about it's called "Going to Church in Medieval England," mm-hmm. and it wasn't uncommon. That for, book has been named on this podcast so many times. Yeah, well, you must be really liking it. I'm a slow reader too. Um, <laughs> but exorcisms was a common thing for traveling priests to do. So this isn't in, you know, I don't know. Yeah. 18th century China, but in, you know, 14th century England, exorcisms were pretty common and pretty pretty known. So, so I want to go there. I want to ask about Christians being possessed, exorcisms. Does it really need an old priest and a young priest? Mm-hmm. All of that. But before that, I'm just thinking if I'm a skeptic listening to the show, we do have some, I might say, well, okay, so you think all these religions were started by the demonic realm, but why would you not say that about Christianity? Mm-hmm. Great so, question. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, Evan already talked about it. Jesus is vindicated by his works. Jesus says, which of you can convict me of sin? Uh, I think that if if I were to cr- craft an apologetic response to that, it would start with the case for the resurrection. Uh, if, you, if you're not a theist, if you're a skeptic in that way, then you have a little bit more work to do before that. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, then God is the only one that could do that. And God is vindicating Jesus's claims about himself. Mm-hmm. Jesus's claims about himself are that he is the one way to God, that his message is true, that he is the, the one who dies for the sins of the world, et cetera, et cetera. So you have God's divine authority on that act. And unlike with Islam or any of these other things, that is a historically verifiable mm-hmm. occurrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the hadiths, all these other things, there's there's... Uh, much less there's, there's a much more attenuated record of the historical events of this but i mean how many people have converted to christianity by trying to disprove the historical fact yeah. of the resurrection they've um, a lot of them been on this podcast yes so so i would start with did jesus rise from the dead okay Love if it. jesus rose from the dead then christianity is the true religion mm-hmm. uh, and if christianity is the true religion then we have to believe what jesus says yeah. I think we need to be unashamed too that we need to say this is a binary choice. Mm-hmm. It's Christ mm-hmm. and everything else. Yep. So you so so this is my issue with a lot of religious studies or cultural studies. They they become sociological studies, which is I, I think fine and good, but understand there's only like two categories. Mm-hmm. There's like Christian and there's everything yep. else. Yeah. So you can come all the other religions have all these things in common. And some of them have some things in common with Christianity, like the yeah. old C. S. Lewis thing of like, mm-hmm. you know, it's always wrong to commit adultery or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, yeah. I think a lot of Christians are – they're hesitant to recognize this binary choice. It's like, well, Christianity is good for us in this culture, but, you know, this this religion works well for these people in this culture. And Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, there is such a thing as common grace, and mm-hmm. there are certain good things that God allows for and supports in other religions. We're not saying that all mm-hmm. religions are bad um, in the sense that they don't do anything good ever. Mm-hmm. But you want to talk about explanatory power again. Do you believe that there is one God or not? I think even if you're a skeptic, you probably find it to be more plausible that there is one supreme creator God than that there are lots of other Mm -hmm. Zeus's and Thor's running around. If there is one supreme God, Christianity explains how you can have that one supreme God and 
uh, an actual supernatural plausible explanation for everything that we have in the phenomenon of these other religions. And the reverse is not true. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. It's like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. A puzzle that works and a puzzle that doesn't work. Okay. Before we get to the burning questions on everybody's mind about possession and exorcism and all that crazy stuff, um, like why should people trust that you know the truth about this? Like there's so much nonsense out there. Like how do we know what's true and what's – I mean obviously you're going to say read mm-hmm. your Bible – but sometimes That's the Bible can be interpreted differently. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of Christians that will answer the questions I'm about to ask you differently. Like, mm-hmm. how are you distinguishing between truth and nonsense mm-hmm. when it comes to all this? Uh, yeah, that's a another great question. Uh, it's the and question I was, you gave uh, me to well, ask. I mean, I so. was going to say, how do, you, how do you read your Bible? But the issue is, if, if you believe that Scripture is the sole interpretive authority, um, then you already filter out probably like 50% of the nonsense that's out there. Because mm-hmm. all of the stuff that directly contradicts scripture, that claims to give any sort of new revelation, yes. uh, all that's all pitched out. Yeah. Uh, now we talk about the stuff that really does seem to be rooted in scripture. So what about like charismatic Christians that we might say go a little overboard in mm-hmm. their um, uh, deliverage Excitement. and bondage and the spirit of Lilith and all of these things? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so what I do we do with them? Well, for the magisterial reformers, for the other church tradition, it's never been me and scripture by myself. It's always been scripture as interpreted in the community of the church. Yeah. And so we have all of these resources f- for interpreting scripture together. Uh, it's the church that is the temple of the Holy Spirit more than it is any individual Christian who's off trying to do it by themselves. So having, the, the Holy Spirit does live in individuals. Yes, they do. But, but, but um, yes. So the fact that you have exposure to the academic conversation, mm-hmm. uh, to the historical conversation, uh, it that helps to filter out all of the rest of these things that seem to go go off into the ether of speculation, yeah, and don't remain grounded in proper um, exegesis or, or dogmatic explanation of these categories. Yeah, and I think I have an advantage in this because you know, I like I am I am a reformed Christian, mm-hmm. so I already have the seatbelt. Yes, uh, built in belt. to want to be a little more skeptical towards yeah. this stuff. And everything that I have uh, discovered or that I'm advocating for, I'm advocating for not because mm-hmm. I have this huge elaborate system, right? but because I see it in the text. And I've seen it in people all the way from Athanasius to Irenaeus to Augustine to Calvin yeah. to uh, Thomas Aquinas to all these people. There is a great tradition of angelology and demonology that the whole church has taught. The issue is we have forgotten that it's there. Yeah. Can I ask a very controversial question? Yes. Uh, it just came to me. Is is what happened, or do you think that some or all of what happened in the Azusa Street Revival or or the early, you know, reintroduction of the charismatic movement or the Pentecostal movement, does that mirror some of the same sociological realities Ooh. that the Presbyterian missionary was seeing in China? I don't know enough. Okay. I, I don't want to speak on that. Uh, I I would be very hesitant to make any definitive claims based on my knowledge, and I would also be hesitant to to want to potentially blaspheme the. Yes, I understand. So, I understand. Um, I will say, like Michael Horton. I don't I know, think all charismatics are demon worshippers. <laughs> yes. No, well, no, no, neither does Evan. Okay. I'm not saying that. However, like Michael Horton, I know has written about this. It's out there somewhere on the internet. You know, th- there were some things that went on at that Azusa Street revival that were. I don't Pretty know. How, I don't know what else to call it. I mean, yeah, so, se- sexual um, indiscretion. Uh, the speaking in tongues could. 
you know, I, I, you know, it's hard to, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, let's just say there is some immorality there that seems to disconnect it from the work of God. Well, there's a there's a difference in saying that immorality is occurring within that particular church community and saying that the movement as a whole is immoral because yeah. we had people in. It, it seems as if in the New Testament there are people that yeah. are part of the congregation. That, yeah, fair enough. I mean, the the guy in First and Second Corinthians yeah. is sleeping with his mom. Yeah. Um, there's people that are speaking in it's tongues in that congregation. I would want to say that the the manifestation of those gifts, I would be a little skeptical. It seems like whatever's going on in, in modern charismatic or Pentecostal tongue speaking is not what we see yeah. in the New Testament. Um, but I, yeah, the devil slips in in lots of places. Let's let's go to the other side. As far opposite as you can get from, from Azusa Street Revival, like Karl Barth was a serial adulterer. Was you he know? really? Yeah. So what do we what do we do with that? Do we just say that was he it never... just a secretary? He's a that theologian in the well known, um, but, 20th yeah. century. He was the theologian of the 20th century yeah. for most people. Yes, yeah. um, but I mean, a lot of our listeners are like, "Who's Carl so, Bart and why are they shocked?" Okay, now me? that you said yeah. that, I really do want to ask about Ed and Lorraine Warren at some point. Okay, let's because do it. because there is there is a similar accusation of him with okay. a young. Our man. listeners are like, "Who are you talking about?" The Conjuring. Yeah, okay. Know yeah. Now, I mean, Ed and Lorraine Warren. They 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 are a, she's a said to be a psychic he's a demonologist uh they're roman catholic they they supposedly go around to these haunted house sites and kind of pronounce yeah. something on the house the amityville horror which is 100 percent a fraud that is undoubtedly a fraud in case you're wondering that is a false story that it is a mob hit it is not supernatural at all anyway but they come on at the tail end of that they make gobs of money there's a, there was just released on netflix i think it was netflix a a three-part story about a young boy who was Said to be possessed, and the Warrens show up, and the demon supposedly leaves him, goes to another guy who commits a murder, but he blames it on the Good demon, yeah. and um, that would that was kind of interesting. But oh, they I saw this, yeah. they make a bunch of money. the 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 family who's promised a bunch of money in Hollywood gets nothing for the script rights. It, I don't something about. I, I mean, I, I, I for years I was I love paranormal stuff, mm -hmm. and you know I thought they were like the real deal, no. and and. So now I'm like, what's the deal with them? No. Uh, so, I met yeah. Lorraine Warren once. What? Okay. Yeah. So uh, I went to Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. And for Halloween one year while I was there, they brought in Lorraine Warren to to give a lecture. Uh, and <laughs> Sorry. It sounds it like was, a fake sentence. Well, it was – For Halloween. It was the most ridiculous thing. Like she had this whole slideshow uh, of supposed proof of things that she had done. And it was all like orbs. You guys know what orbs are? No. So well, it's a piece it's of dust sphere. that goes yeah, on the camera that's, lens. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. So there are these sort of spherical light things that show up in particular photographs. And what it is is you, oh, have, yes. you have the light that's reflecting on a dust particle back into the camera lens and yeah. it shows up as this orb. Uh, I, did, I was and, guessing that's what it was. Yeah, okay. no, that's exactly okay. what it is. Like, right. there's, no, there's no dispute. You can go out and do it whenever you want. Set it up. Like throw up yeah. a piece of dust and all of a sudden you'll have all, all these or but all if these you're in redding california yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's actually a, a holy spirit cloud oh Keep yeah going yeah. that's a, yeah that's another conversation about that we've had that conversation involved yes. okay yeah so it it was laughable like this was her evidence this was her clincher stuff for all of the the proof of spiritual wow. activity that she'd been around and and i was so frustrated i mean i was a, i was a teenager and i got up and i was like excuse me you know thank you for your talk how do you uh, – you say that you're a Christian. How do you deal with all of the verses in the Bible that talk about like you should not engage in sorcery or witchcraft or yeah. psychic like mediumship? Like you should not be a medium. It's very clear in the mm -hmm. New Testament. How do you deal with those verses and say that you're a Christian? And she said um, – and she's a very old woman at the time, but um, it's not like she got any younger since then. But <laughs> um, 
she's she's this little old lady and i i felt bad pressing her on it but she said oh my christian faith is very important to me i couldn't do what i do without my christian faith which is not an answer yeah yeah right uh, she's going to be a there politician there are specific prohibitions against necromancy and mediumship yeah. and so, she's out there saying she's a psychic so i just don't i have zero respect for anything that ed or lorraine warren have ever yeah. done interesting all right Let's get some maybe before, not rapid fire. Before but, we do that, yeah. we, let's we got a lot of good movie recommendations on here. So aside <laughs> yeah. from Exorcism of Emily Rose and The Conjuring, uh, did either of you see The Pope's Exorcist with Russell? Yes, Moore? I okay. thought it was terrible though. Well, I thought it was fun. It's like National Treasure. It's like The Exorcist and National Treasure had a baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the the thing that I liked about it was actually the opening scene. Yeah. So he's in South yes. America so yes. or, or yes. Spain somewhere, and there's this kid that it seems very obviously to be possessed, and and so the um, he he brings a pig in there, and he he does this whole sort of song and dance routine, and at the end of it, he's like, oh no, that kid wasn't possessed. This was oh. just it was all like a psychological phenomenon, and he use he just uses the pig to sort of break whatever mental uh, yeah. mental disorder that kid had, and th- and that's true. Like ninety over ninety percent of all of this stuff, the Catholic Church is required to get extensive psychological evaluations and psychiatric evaluations done for any case that is that is brought forward to them before they send an exorcist yeah. to do anything. Hmm. Um, and yet, there are these residuals. And uh, another another great book, uh, it's called Demonic Foes. Uh, that this, this Harvard, I think it's Harvard-trained psychiatrist, 25 years of experience doing this. He, he was not a theist, uh, not a Catholic, the regional, the, the diocesan exorcist, they bring him this case to do this evaluation. And he doesn't believe in demons, but he sees this woman levitate. And he's like, okay, well, clearly, clearly I have to reevaluate my worldview. And it's because of the evidence of these residual cases. He says, yeah, I get consultations all the time. Very clear. This is, this is just a person with mental illness. Um, and then sometimes you'll mm-hmm. have a person that doesn't have a mental illness and they'll still have, um, some sort of demonic oppression. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes there's both. Mm. Sometimes the mental illness is caused or sometimes it's an avenue by which Mm -hmm. a demon is able to manipulate a vulnerable person. Um, Anyway. No, um, well, you answered one of the questions in in saying that. Go ahead. Real fast. Somewhere on YouTube on my old radio show, I put together (laughs) the priest who is the uh, inspiration for the the movie The Right with Anthony Hopkins, Mm -hmm. um, or he's the American version of that anyway. And then a skeptic. And, and it was this question of possession versus, you know, uh, mental illness, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, so I thought that was, that was pretty interesting, but yeah. the, the, and the exorcist really is a great film. I mean, I think that's worth Like it's, it's kind of been parodied. It's been copied so many times, but like the original exorcist, it does deal with a lot of very serious issues of like, you know, cause actually the, the young priest is a doubter, you know, he doesn't believe any of this stuff. And so that whole, like, what's interesting about the exorcist is that, up until the decades before that, like you mentioned, the, the Enlightenment, you know, even the priests were basically of the school, like, no, this is a psychological problem. We're, we're, we're sort of done with all that hocus pocus nonsense. And so it's like that was when people started to realize, oh, the world actually is inhabited by demons. We can't reason it away. We're in a spiritual war, whether we like it or not. And it's a binary choice. So I don't know. I think that movie was not only a good film. To me, it was almost kind of an opening salvo in the spiritual war that were mm-hmm. that's Far, to me, far more obvious today, hmm. 50 hmm. years later. I think it's incredibly obvious today. I mean, they've got pictures of horned demons on the top of the New York yep. courthouses. Yes. Right? With like tentacle legs. Like who designed this? <laughs> and what else is that? What else could that be? No, right. 
No, and it's and yes. it's supposed and it's this golden idol with tentacle legs and goat horns, and it's the face of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it's supposed to celebrate women's right to kill their children. So, like, what's that? Yeah, that sure does if sound. If we if we don't have child sacrifice today, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, we could go on, but yes. Well, and you made me think of another question I wanted to ask you. I keep adding questions on, <laughs> and we're all, and we are out of time, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sneak a couple more in there. Um, for those who would say. When they read the New Testament with their enlightened eyes, that any time that Jesus is casting out a demon, that's just what the writers at the time understood that was. But we now can go back and say that was all mental health. Yeah, that's silly. Right. Okay. Um, but I mean, in any of those passages, go there. They'll distinguish. The, the, the gospel writers distinguish. Like there were people that had epilepsy and there were people that were demon possessed. Mm-hmm. Two okay. different categories. Great. I love these rapid fire. This is great. We should have you on all the time. These next ones are somewhat rapid fire. Um uh, do you believe in guardian angels? Yeah. This is you do. I don't think so. I did not think you were going to say. I don't, don't want to build a whole system out of it. But T- say a little bit about that because like, that's I something we tell children. Like yeah. you have a guardian angel. You well, know? we also tell children Jesus loves me. This I know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I mean, I don't know if there's like a whole system of like it's a wonderful life where you've got like one guardian <laughs> angel that's assigned to one person. I do think there are angels. I think they guard people. Okay. What okay. Do, what else do you call them? Yeah. Okay. See, I read all the Frank Peretti books uh, when I was okay. young. So, yes. Um, okay. So that's the first question. Second question. Uh, can Christians, real Christians, people who have surrendered their life to Christ, be possessed and or oppressed and or harmed by fallen angels? Harmed, definitely. Okay. I mean, Talk through a, lot of, well, a so little bit. Well, so Jesus died on the cross as a result of fallen angels plotting to harm and kill him. So, like, yeah. if, if it can happen to Jesus, it can happen. To oh my gosh! Um, but he was raised from yeah, death was, to life, so, so we so got that going it's for all, us too. It's all temporary yeah. harm. So, so again, the the serpent bruises the heel, yeah. of the seed of the woman, but yeah. the the head of the serpent is crushed. Um, I don't like the word possession. Okay, that's not a biblical word. The, okay. the Greek word in the New Testament is daimonizomai, demonized. Okay. I think That's talking about possession. Sassy I, anyway. Yeah, I think talking about possession introduces this whole metaphysics of location. Yeah. Of like inside and outside. Okay. And I don't know if that's the best way of talking about it. It might be. It might be helpful. Um, but I also think it might introduce more problems, especially in this regard. So I uh, think I know what you're gonna well, say. Well, I mean, like Jesus like Jesus talks about a demon making its home in a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Maybe it maybe it is the truth that demons can live in particular individuals, but uh, I I've heard a lot of stories, especially in the Middle Ages. You had all sorts of people who seemed to be Christians who were oppressed, had some sort of um, oppression, however you want to define it, demonization. Uh, I don't know. Like I I think that even if a demon doesn't live inside of you the way a non Christian can. You, it can it can be puppeting you from the outside to such an mm-hmm. extent that it's basically indiscernible. Hmm. Um, what I do know is that Christ's power over demons is real. Amen. And Graham Twelftree is a great scholar that's written several books on Jesus as exorcist and early Christian hmm. exorcisms. That was a huge distinctive in the early church as opposed to Jewish or Greek or Roman exorcistic practices. Uh, so those sorts of practices were very similar to the way that the Roman Catholics do it today. Like there's, you have your particular talismans, you speak certain incantations, for lack of a better word. Yeah. It takes a long time. 
but 12th tree does a very good job of documenting in the name of Jesus come out yeah. and it's over. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that's also how Nevius documents in, in China. Interesting. Okay. How, how they're experiencing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I've, I've spoken to people, people that we both know that once they became Christians and once they proclaimed the name yes. of Christ, they never encounter those sorts of things again. Yeah. Uh, so regardless, I think there is a, there is a way that you can open yourself to these sorts of influences. Yeah. Um, and any sort of new age or occultism is enemy number one. Yep. Ouija boards. Thank you for saying tarot that. Tarot cards, any of that stuff. Like I saw all sorts, all sorts of people with their little evil eye bracelets. It's um, super in style right now. Yeah. Again. So yeah. all of this is an invitation, um, to develop a relationship with an external power. Yes. Uh, that can take you places that you never wanted to go. But at the same time, the number one indicator for success based on all of the the research that I have done across denominations and across time, the number one indicator for success for an exorcism is the cooperation in the spiritual health of the person that is affected. Hmm. Um, So the reason why a lot of exorcisms don't work seems to be because maybe they don't want them to work. Right. I mean, again, I'm not making a blanket statement. Uh, what is interesting to me is there does seem to be a stark difference in the exorcism rituals that are performed by Protestants and Charismatics and those that are performed by Roman Catholics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I just wonder, again, without making any larger claim, I just wonder. <laughs> if you already didn't hate him for, you know, yeah. his uh, his Muslim thoughts, here we go. I mean, again, I, I do think Catholics... Like, I, I'm not saying Catholics are not Christians. I'm just saying maybe there's something that's getting in the way yes. in those scenarios that's yeah. not getting in the way in these other scenarios. Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way. Like, that Roman Catholic exorcisms work, but they don't in the Pentecostal world. I don't know, you know, because I think in some circles in, like, the charismatic world, to be possessed is almost like this. you're the center of attention yeah. or something or, like, Well, that's generally – so, again, this would, this would be – if we wanted to do a psychological study, which I think is important um, – to, to rule out and exclude cases. Like, that's a really good factor to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you gaining something from from this sort of activity? Yeah. yeah. When you talk about you don't like the word possession, and, and I like that because it's maybe not this sort of indwelling kind of thing. One of the sort of party lines of Christianity when you ask this question is, well, Christians can't be possessed mm-hmm. because the Holy, the Holy Spirit, Spirit lives, lives there right. and they can't share space. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Um, and still, I don't know, be under the oppressive, you know, influence of something demonic. So then I guess the question is, what, what do you do about that? Is the answer exorcism? Um, is the answer, you know, praying a hedge of protection? Like what, what can Christians do to, on the front end to make sure that doesn't happen? I mean, you just said one of them, right? Don't dance with these sort of entryways, um, which I would put like law of attraction and all that kind of crap in there too. Mm. But uh, the Enneagram. No. no I actually well, would agree with you about no, that. Maybe. Yes. Um, I mean, we we did a podcast a long time ago where we had the guy that wrote the Enneatypes literally on video saying that he channeled a spirit to do that. So Yeah. yeah. So this is another – when you start seeing and looking at it based on the the phenomena and like like Evan said, the sociology of it. Any of the literature around shamanism, mm-hmm. spirit channeling, spirit possession, mask dances, mm-hmm. uh, like Thai uh, spirit puppets. Voodoo. Uh, yeah. Voodoo, all of this stuff. This is all the same thing. Yeah. 
it it has a little bit different clothing, yeah. but the mechanics of it work exactly the same. Pretty what about, fascinating. And I'm just going to drop this word, and then we're not going to talk about it. Spirit, okay. spirit cooking. What? What does that even? Th- I've never heard of that. No. Is know. that like inviting your spirit well, animal to help you make a fabulous recipe? Well, or? Uh, whether you think it's totally absurd or true, just look into Pizzagate. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not not as in that restaurant, but the entire concept of the elite uh, cabal, if there is such a thing, that are actual you know, demonic worshipers doing terrible things. Now, that might be totally crazy. I have no idea. I have no idea. But um, in emails... It's way more plausible to me now than it was when all of it came out. Well, in in John Podesta's emails, who, as a matter of fact, we have his factual emails. They were hacked. And uh, he did run Hillary Clinton's campaign. That is a fact. And they talk about having a meal where pizza, the word pizza is used because that's a Anyway, a, a, a metaphor. Code word, yeah. And, um, and they talk about spirit cooking and a particular woman who does spirit cooking, which involves the the um, c- combination of blood and other bodily fluids mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So Yeah, well, I, don't, I, I mean, think I want regular cooking. Yeah, yeah. Way, way back in the Noachic Covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not eat any animal that has the blood in it. Yeah. Because the blood is the life. And then, then the Jerusalem Council, when they give it to the, the Gentiles that are becoming Christians, they have very few rules. One of them is do not eat anything with the blood in it. Would you eat halal food? You mentioned it earlier. No. Okay. Um, so, so even though so – this would my argument for it would be, A, I love kebabs and shawarma. <laughs> but B, Paul says – yeah. It's only food. It's not actually a god. So yeah, it's kind of like if you're on the other side yeah. and you don't believe it, then it's okay to eat. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with halal food. Like the okay. food is not possessed. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't but you think, you, you think if it is a, a barrier to witness, then it Correct. should not be done. Yeah. Like okay. I, I know now that this food has been offered to a false god, mm-hmm. someone that denies Christ. So gotcha. like I personally, I don't want to. Interesting. I don't want to eat it. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to say other people can't eat it because that's, I mean, that's right. the strictures that Paul places. But, it, but, but if it's but, an offense to conscience, then you yeah, can't eat it. Okay. So. okay. Interesting. So then let's let's close this out with some hope. Like, what can Christians do if we're worried like, crap, I don't want a demon messing with me? And just more more broadly speaking, the hope of the gospel, where, where mm-hmm. does the hope of the gospel come into this conversation? Because I don't want people just to be like, well, man, I wasn't scared before, but now I'm kind of scared. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to be like Emily Rose, you know? Yeah. What Give us some hope. Um, well, I mean, the hope is the gospel. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, we know how the story ends. We know that there is none that can snatch us from mm-hmm. his hand and that there's none that can take him out of his father's hand. Uh, so all of this stuff, if if you are in Christ and if you have union with him, there is nothing that can interfere with your ultimate destiny and your ultimate fate of, of blessedness and, and life with him in eternity. Um, but in between then and now, bad things happen to Christians all the time. Yeah. You know, like it was people, kind of promised by Jesus. Yeah. Actually. So like you yeah. will face tribulation. Yeah. This is, we don't believe in a prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. You might suffer, but Christ is present in your suffering. That's right. Christ is the victor and you too can have a victory over this. You, I mean, he gives his disciples, he gives you authority mm. over these spirits. If we want to re- return back to that governing metaphor, if Christ is the king and these are the governors, you are the ambassador from the king and your authority trumps the authority of any of those governors because he has vested you with that. And so I think it's very clear that 
Maybe, maybe you'll have trouble. Maybe you won't have trouble. I don't think that dwelling on this or thinking about it is sort of going to attract them like flies yeah. to, to dead meat. <laughs> um, I think other things have to be involved first. But uh, if if you do encounter something like that, you do have hope because you do have power. Yeah. I mean, the power is not yours. The power is That's given right. to you. That's right. So let me let me give close this out with just a like a very practical example. Somebody that's listening, maybe they have been struggling with I don't know really bad dreams mm-hmm. or just weird something when they're sleeping at night and mm-hmm. something feels off. What you're lying in bed, you're you're struggling with I don't know sleep paralysis or something like that, and you worry that there's something darker than mm-hmm. just you know bad feelings on things happening. Can you just in your own bed with your own words say, you know? Jesus protect me or yes. can you call an angel to like what's the recipe give us a formula um there the recipe is simple there's you don't need a magical incantation you don't need you know a, a cross or anything like that uh yeah you, basically exactly what you said so i have people uh that i have spoken to um that have a far extensive experience with this more experience than i probably will ever have i say yeah that's when i when i counsel people about this this is a guy that, that lives in, in Switzerland and he's, he like he grew up in the occult and so this is now something that he finds that they they sort of find him he mm-hmm, says and he's mm-hmm. able to counsel them now that he's a pastor. Um, he says if you are concerned whether this is or is not demonic the the best thing that you can do is if you proclaim the name of Jesus mm-hmm. and it leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's all it takes. Yeah. It's when I was little and we would have bad dreams. My dad's a pastor. He would come and pray. Um, and say, you know, I mean, he said various things, but always had the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. just that Jesus would watch over us, protect us, mm-hmm. um, and the name of Jesus would reign and rule. Mm-hmm. And um, and I've just carried that with me. Anytime something feels off or juju-y or weird, or I'm like, mm, let's uh yeah, it's it's ours to yeah. to claim. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, on the reform side of things, maybe they might feel that that's getting a little too woo-woo. Yeah, yeah. Right. But think <laughs> think about what happens every time you pray. Yeah. Every time you take the Eucharist, every time you dismiss from church, what are you doing? In Jesus' name, yep. Amen. In mm-hmm. Jesus' name, so let it be. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing scary or or suspicious about this. Yeah. This is the biblical practice. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so if people are intrigued by this, which how could you not be? This is a fascinating conversation, uh, and they want to learn more about you, or find you, or send you hate mail about why you hate Muslims. I'm joking. He doesn't hate Muslims. But um, where can people find you? Uh, well. I teach at Houston Christian University, as we said there, and I've got an office there. Um, so you can come and take some classes with us. We have uh, both online and residential classes. So I teach many courses online in our cultural apologetics program. Name a couple classes you teach. Uh, so right next semester, I'm going to be teaching medieval worldview and culture. Cool. Yeah. And so we'll be reading Beowulf and uh, Bede's <laughs> Ecclesiastical History of the English People and Thomas Aquinas and all sorts of fun things. Um we do electives on things as varied as as Tolkien to the Epistle to the Hebrews. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's a, a wide and varied thing, and we're ecumenical, so we invite uh, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, any stripe of Protestant uh, to come and study with us and, and learn how to do imaginative apologetics, but also learn how to do uh, biblically grounded and uh, exegetically rich and historically rooted uh, Christian theology and ministry. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. If you guys want to learn any more about what we're doing, we have an event coming up. I don't know when this podcast is going to drop, but uh, December 12th, if it drops before then. Um, if not, you can go back and listen to the recording. December 12th, uh, someone else from HCU, Lynn Coick, is going to uh, be here. Distinguished professor of New Testament, Dis- Dr. So distinguished. Lynn Coick. Yes. yes. Um, 
That is her actual title. It's pretty cool. I want a title like that, like Distinguished Executive Director. Anyway, um, but everything you want or need to know about our organization, you can find at theologybythepint.org. You can also give us money if you want to help us grow. I'll just put that out there at the end. Uh, It's the end of the year, year year-end giving, tax deductible, make it happen, theologybythepint.org forward slash give. But until we see you at one of our events or you join us again on the podcast, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.